0: Good morning everyone. Glad you could join us today. I want to express my appreciation for uh, many of you who prayed for my eye surgery. It happened a couple of weeks ago. Surgery went well and uh, I'm pretty much completely recovered from that surgery. The vision is returning slowly. It's just going to take a little time for the retina to figure out where it's supposed to go so you can continue to pray that uh, it would improve. I keep checking my, I think it's getting better, I think it's getting better. So, but he said it might take a couple of months. So, I appreciate your prayers uh, for complete healing on that. We uh, are looking at five habits to accelerate spiritual growth, and our theme verses for this series are found in 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8, and this is what it says. Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the one to come. To be godly means... To think about life the way God thinks about life. To value the things that God values. To see people and treat people the way God sees people. And the question in this series is how can we accelerate that kind of growth? Godliness doesn't just happen. We we have to work on it. We become spiritually fit, this verse says, the same way we become become physically fit. And that's by training. We, We have to put effort into that. And every kind of training that there is, whether it's physical or spiritual, always involves two things. There's always tools, and then there's habits. And so we're looking at top, the top five habits that I think really help accelerate and the tools that are related to them. We began by looking at the tool of prayer and the habit of praying. This accelerates our ability to perceive more than just the visible world around us, to connect with God and in the invisible realm. And then last week, Elliot talked about the tool of church and the habit of gathering. And this accelerates the movement of God's truth from just an idea or a theory in our mind to action, to reality. Today, we're going to talk about the tool of the Sabbath and the habit of keeping the Sabbath. This is what accelerates our relationship with God. At my wedding day, I was asked these words, Do you, Bevan, take Rebecca to be your wife? to live together in holy marriage, to love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. And I said, I do. And she said, I do. And we were married. Now, I've yet to see a couple in all the weddings that I've done not really appear to mean it. I've never seen a guy go, well, all right. Or a gal go, I guess I have to now. Every time someone says, I do, you can tell that they really mean it. This is called a Declaration of Intent, and they really intend to stick to these words. So why is it then that so many marriages fail and every single marriage struggles? Well, it's because the Declarations of Intent have to show up on the calendar. They have to become real. And When Rebecca and I have struggled, it's usually not because our intentions towards each other have shifted. It's usually because of our schedule. You know, we've gotten busy and consumed with the pressures of life, and then we've gotten short with each other, and then we've gotten sideways with each other, and then we've got a big problem. And so for us, it turns out that the habit of carving out time has really helped us. Time for each other, time for our relationship has really helped us put feet to the intentions that we declared almost 32 years ago to each other. Now, I know that doesn't sound very romantic, I mean, what movie shows a couple in love pulling out their calendars or their phones and trying to sync up a time where they could spend a moment together? No, in the movies, you know, they're so in love, they can't stand spending a single moment apart from each other. But in real life, you have jobs, and and you have kids, and you have problems, and you have different interests. And so if the relationship is going to survive, it needs to show up on your calendar. And it's the same with God. If you intend to have a relationship with God, he must become a part of your schedule. It's not enough just to have honest intentions in that direction. And at the beginning of creation, God put himself on the weekly calendar. He did this when he created the seventh day. He rested on that seventh day. Now, God rested on that seventh day not because he needed a break, but because we do. He was creating, at that point, the seven-day week. This is why we don't have just an endless number of days. I mean, for animals, that's the way life is. It just kind of goes on and on and on. There isn't a sense of weeks. But for us, we we live on a, on a weekly basis. It's unique to us. It, th- this is for us. There are no celestial bodies in the heavens to mark the week like there is for a day or for a month or for a year. You know, the sun lets us know when it's... The moon lets us know when it's night and when a month has passed. The position of the stars let us know when a year has passed. But there's no marker, there's nothing in the heavens that tell us it's Monday. There's nothing in the skies that tell us this. Creation does not enforce this. The only reason that there is a week that is seven days long is because God rested on the seventh day. And in doing so, what he was saying is, schedule me in at least every seven days. In the fourth of the Ten Commandments, he makes it very clear. In Exodus 20, verse 8, it simply says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Two words, two simple words that describe what needs to occur one day out of seven. It needs to be a Sabbath day, and it needs to be a holy day. Let's look at both. First of all, a Sabbath. The Sabbath is designed to be a day for us to recharge. God didn't say keep Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday. He said Sabbath day. The word Sabbath or Shabbat as it's pronounced in Hebrew simply means to stop working. It's a very clear definition. Just stop working. I mean the word itself, Shabbat, almost sounds like just stop working. Shabbat. Knock it off. Put it down. Stop working. Now, the Jewish tradition was was on Saturday, and since the resurrection of Christ, Christians have chosen Sunday to mark the day that Jesus rose from the grave. But the day isn't the primary issue. The important part is that this is a habit, that this is a one-day-in-seven habit for us. We are to set aside one day a week to rest. Now, that doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? I mean, if you would imagine, God's going to take one day, and he's going to say, look, you, you, can, you have six to do work and do all the things you need to do, but there's one day that, that's, that's going to be mine. And you would think, well, God, what would you want us to do on that day? And God says, I'd like you to rest. Huh. That shows you the goodness of God. He knows what we need. He created us. He knows we need to rest. Now, I want to give you a few practical suggestions on this, because particularly in this culture, we we don't do this very much. I mean, we, we may have a weekend, but we don't rest. We don't recharge very often. Now I'm going to use Ecclesiastes 4, verse 8, and this is a, a statement that King Solomon, an ancient king in Israel, made in a description of someone, a, a man who is clearly experiencing burnout. This may have been a description of himself at one point. He's not really clear on who this is. But this is the description, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 8. Says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. There's three reasons described for this man's condition. He was alone, he never stopped working, and he deprived himself of enjoyment. This is a great description of the three things that just drain us of life, just drain the vitality out of our souls. And so the opposite is how we are filled up. It's how we are recharged. The three R's. Maybe this will help you remember them. The first R is relationships. It says he was all alone. One of the things that we need is we need to be emotionally recharged. Now, today's work is often more of an emotional drain than a physical one. All week long, you are dealing with problems and the people that have them or cause them. And by the end of the week, you're drained, probably both physically and emotionally. And so you might think, well, the last thing that I need is to get around people. But people are not only the greatest source of discouragement, they are also the greatest source of encouragement. They represent the extremes on both sides of that spectrum. So on the Sabbath day, get around the encouraging ones and stay away from the discouraging ones. So I guess in the future, if someone ever wants to get together with you on the Sabbath, you know which category you're in. But focus on the encouraging ones. You know, Six days a week, you are going to encounter people who will drain the life out of you. So just one day. On the seventh day, be intentional about getting time with the encouragers. What's what's true of someone that encourages us? Well, I I think there's usually two things that are true of people that encourage me, and probably same for you. The people that encourage me are people who really care about me, who really have an interest in me. I mean, there's just nothing more energizing than getting around someone who really is interested in you, and, and you can tell they really care about you, that you really matter to them. That just—you can just feel the batteries being recharged on the inside when you get around people that really like you and really care about you. And then the second thing I've noticed for me—it's really encouraging to get around people who agree with me. It just really is. I mean, it's—it's it's just draining, isn't it, to spend time with people who doesn't don't agree with you. I mean, you have to keep explaining yourself. No, I didn't mean this. I meant that. You have to keep biting your tongue. You have to, you know, you're, it's like you're walking through a landmine field. Oh, no, we can't talk about that. We disagree on that. We can't talk about this. We disagree on that. Now, now there's no getting away from people that disagree with you. And I'm not saying you know, build your, your life around only people that agree with you. That's that's not necessarily good, and that's really pretty much impossible. That's just a part of life. But one day in 7, I encourage you to get around people that you agree with. Because when you spend time with someone that shares your values and your perspective on life, it's, it's energizing. It's like high-octane fuel for your soul. You're energized by the conversation and, and you're, you're, as Elliot said last week, you're spurred on to, to love and to good deeds. So relationships, get around encouraging people. The second R is rest. It says about this man, there was no end to his toil. So not only do we need emotional recharging, we also need Physical recharging. Simply put, just stop working. Put it down. Take a break. Relax. Catch up on your sleep if you want to. I mean, how many of you would like to get a little more sleep? Or maybe if this wasn't Super Bowl Sunday, maybe take a nap this afternoon. Imagine, you know, a lot of of us would, boy, I'd like to get a little more sleep. I mean, I hear people all the time, I, I need to get more sleep. Now, what do you think if I would go over to the kids' building and ask the second and third graders, how many of you would like to take a long nap this afternoon? <laughs> how would that go? No! So my point is, it is a sign of immaturity when you're unwilling to rest. It's a sign of immaturity. You know, they're, they're obviously, there are crunch times when you, you've got you've to work hard and, and, and push through. But if that becomes a pattern... And if that blows through the Sabbath, then really it's an indication that you're just unwilling to trust God. You know, on the page of the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, one of the main reasons people didn't do the Sabbath is because they were unwilling to trust God to take care of them if they didn't work that one day. That's really what it is. It's like, I've got to get this done. So so God can't help. God can't provide. We have to trust God. You know, because there's problems to be solved and money to be made. Well, yes, six days are for that. One day, trust God, just rest, take a break. We we need this physically. We need it physically. The third R is recreation. It says, why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? So we need emotional recharging. We need physical recharging. We also need mental or creative recharging. This is something we don't think about that often. You know, daily life tends to be very repetitive. So over time, as we just do the routine of life, we just are, we're creatively drained and and boredom begins to set in. Even if you're really busy and life is really crazy, it's just the routine kind of just, ugh, begins to drain you of creativity. And recreation is one of the ways that we are creatively re-energized. I mean, that's what the word recreation means. The prefix RE means, again, create. We recreate. We, again, create. And this is more than just simply having fun. It needs to be something that engages your mind in in a different way than your work does. Something that kind of frees your mind a little bit and, and, and calls your mind to be engaged. Now, just to be clear, TV is not recreation. Okay, somebody else created that you're just watching it it's rest so that's fine you know it's fine if you want to watch a little tv but it's not recreation you're not going to get up from watching a bunch of tv and feeling like wow i'm just mentally stimulated right now i'm just ideas are popping new thoughts are coming up it's like uh what's my name and how old am i i mean it just it just makes everyone stupid if you watch too much of it for too long i mean you've if you got kids; you can see this. They're just ugh, blobs. If you scoop them up off the floor after watching too much TV, so do something that recreates you. You know, for me, one of the best things is is to go on a long bike ride. You know, for me, my work is mostly mental, and so it really helps me to push my body physically, and it. It's as I'm really pushing and my heart rate's been over 150 for an hour or so that my brain now suddenly starts unlocking. And without even intending, thoughts and ideas start popping in my mind. Sometimes I'll just pull off the trail and I'll have to record some of the thoughts I've got. So we need this kind of thing. One day in seven, it's, it's, it's got to become a habit for us. So a Sabbath day, a Shabbat, a stop working, a day to recharge. Secondly, though, it's to be a holy day, a day to refocus, The Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The Hebrew word for holy means to be separate from or, or different. And so God is the primary example of what holiness is. He is very different. And so when God makes a day and he says, I want this to be a holy day, what he's saying is, I want this to be a different kind of day, not just bizarre different. I want this to be different in that it's a day that, that you focus on me, you, you refocus on me. A day that's going to affect the next six days that come. You know, daily life not only drains us of, of physical energy, of emotional energy, of creative energy, it also clutters us. You, you go through just six days, and your your mind. And your life is just so cluttered with all kinds of thoughts and, and bits and pieces of things you've heard and considered. And your perspective as you're looking at the future just gets blurry. The important things become blurry and the unimportant things begin to take over. And we, we begin just within six days. I mean, honestly, sometimes just a day. We, we just lose sight of God at work around us and in us. And we, we need to refocus. In Isaiah chapter 30, God addresses the nation of Israel when they are in full panic mode. And the reason they're in panic is because at this moment in history, Sennacherib, the king, the emperor of the Assyrian Empire, is on the move against Israel. And reports are coming in that his army has been marshaled and it's on its way. So the situation is very dire. I mean, at this point in history, nobody could stand up to the Assyrian army. They were the military superpower of their day. And so in the middle of this situation, this is what God says to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. The Holy One of Israel says, quote, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Now that is a very strange way to prepare for the invasion of the largest army of the day. Just think about what he's saying. I mean, how will repentance and rest, I mean, how will confessing your sin to God and taking a nap help prepare the defenses? In what way will quietness and trust, you know, being quiet and silent and trusting God help strengthen and train the soldiers? It won't. But the point that God is making is this. Without me, Without my help, it really doesn't matter how long and how hard you train and how brilliant your military tactics and plans are, you will fall before this great army. You need my help. Your only chance is for God to get involved. So you need to take some time to connect with God on this. This is not only the case for this dire situation. This is also true for our lives and for our weeks. I mean, what does is, what is your next week look like? My guess is that there are probably some problems that need to be solved this next week. There may be a few complex decisions that need to be made. There are definitely going to be difficult people that need to be faced. Maybe some of them your own kids. But your week has got challenges. Now, it's probably not a Syrian army-sized challenges, but it is big enough to shake you. It's big enough to shake me. So it seems to us then, on a Sunday, on the, the beginning of a new week, it seems like the best thing we could do with our Sunday is to work for hours to get ready for the week, or at least spend hours worrying about it. You know, not, not take a nap, not just sit there in silence. But the big question is this, both then and now, is not what is the situation that you are facing, but are you going to face it alone or with God? That's the big question. And if God is the biggest factor, really, in your your week, your next week, and all of his challenges, then taking time to confess your sin to him might be the smartest 10 or 15 or 30 minutes that you could spend to prepare for your upcoming week. And then you can rest and get your mind and your body ready for the week. And then you can take time and and sit in silence, which is almost unheard of in our culture, and slow your mind down long enough so that God might be able to give you insight for the week to come. But if this coming week is more about your strength than God's and your ability to fix things, to fix the problems and God's ability to save, then you better not rest. And you better not be quiet. You see, the purpose of the Sabbath is to slow us down long enough so that we might get to the point where we go, oh, right, God. God exists. He is the single largest factor in my life and in my future. We just forget that. I'm not alone. We need to remember this. It's not all up to me. We need to remember this. So right after God says this in Isaiah 30, 15, Notice how the end of the verse is. It says, but you would have none of it. God says, the Syrian army is coming. Repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You basically said, yeah, we're not doing that. There is no way we're doing that. And in doing so, they set aside the real preparation for the coming challenges. And God goes on in these next few verses to describe what a refusal to do this practically means. He says you're setting aside the practice of three habits that will really refocus you if you do them. But you would have none of it. What are the three habits? What what are the three refocusing habits that we get a chance every week to begin our week with? Well, the first habit is slow your pace. And this is such an important part of refocusing. The next verse, Isaiah 30, verse 16, right after they said, "We would, you have none of it, God says, you said, no, you know, just to be clear, no, we're not doing this. We will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. You see, when the circumstances of life get worse, we do the same thing that they do we pick up the pace, right? I mean, that's reasonable because problems don't solve themselves and work doesn't get done by doing less. And armies don't stop marching. You need to get on your horse and flee. This was their big plan. We're not going to take time to repent of our sin and to rest and to be quiet before God and to trust Him. We're going to find the fastest horse we can and we're getting out of here. Our life is getting faster, not slower. We're going to pick up the pace. We're not going to slow down the pace. The thing that happens both then and now is as we increase the pace of our life, a subtle belief starts seeking into our mind, and that is it's all up to us to save us. It's the horse. It's the hard work. It's Whatever I'm doing is is the single largest factor. So what does God do in response to that deception two things the first one is my favorite he lets us run i mean what this just cracks me up you said no we'll flee on horses and they're kind of expecting god say no you won't god says all right run flee therefore you will flee okay (laughs) so you you don't want to slow down and ask me for help god says all right that's fine go ahead run as fast as you'd like That's your choice. But know this, you will never run fast enough to solve your problems. You'll get on your horse, and before long, you'll discover, this horse isn't fast enough. I can still hear the army. The problems are still there. My weeks are still full of pressure. i got to get a faster horse. Why? Well, because of the second thing God does. It says, your pursuers will be swift. When we decide to run like chickens with our heads cut off, God says, all right, get ready, I'm a pretty fast runner. And he sends pursuers. You see, God will see to it that the pace of your life will never be fast enough to solve all of your problems. Because he wants you to turn to him. And if there was a fast enough horse that could outrun all of your problems, well we'd we'd buy that yeah you know, we we just let the circumstances of our life drive us to run faster and faster and faster, and what God is basically saying here is, your life can be as fast as you want it to be. We'll'll send pursuers to equal your pace, and the lie we think is, oh, if I just really crank it up right now and then We did that in our 20s, and then in our 30s it got faster, and then in our 40s it's crazy, and now in our 50s it's absolutely nuts. God says, I'm not tired. Are you getting tired? I'm not even breathing. The pursuers are swift. So we can let the circumstances of our life drive us to run faster and faster and faster and faster, or we can take one day a week to get off our horse, whatever form it is, and slow down and remember that God, and not our work, is our Savior. You know, when an army is pursuing, it takes a great deal of faith to get off your horse and rest. I mean, let's be honest, this is a challenge for us to do. I mean, you can see the cloud of dust off on the horizon. You can hear the army approaching or to update it into a current situation, you can read the emails. And you can hear the sounds of Monday's problems marching your way. But it's when we slow down that we have the chance to hear and see more than our circumstances. We get a chance to see God in the middle of it. We we need this at least one day in seven. So slow your pace is the first habit of refocusing the second habit is regain your perspective you know the faster we go the stupider we are I and mean, that's just the way it is the faster we go the less perspective we have the next verse isaiah 30 verse 17 says here's what's going to happen you're on your horse you're riding as fast as you can He says a thousand will flee at the threat of one at the threat of five you will all flee away until you're left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop like a banner on a hill What's this talking about? What he's saying is the faster you go, the more easily spooked you will become. It'll get to the point where all one person has to say is, boo. And a thousand of you go ah, you're going to run like chickens. You just take off. Ah." Now, that's not logical. One person is no threat to a thousand people. Why would a thousand people run at the threat of one? They have completely lost perspective. The pace has driven fear so deep into their hearts that they are freaked out by the smallest little thing now. And all all the Assyrian army is going to have to do is send five people because you guys are so freaked out. You're so full of fear. Five people dressed in battle gear are going to step over the horizon and everyone is going to flee. Until you're left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. What does that mean? Until the only thing that's left of your city is the flag that used to represent it, because nobody's there. you just, you freaked out. And th- this, is, this is what's going on in our life. The faster we go, the less we are able to see God, and the scarier this world becomes to us. You know what's amazing to me is we are probably the safest, most fearful group of people ever to walk this planet. I mean, we live longer than any humans ever have in history. We've got more safety devices surrounding us as we drive around than ever have have occurred. The death rates are so much better than they've ever been, and yet we are are scaredy-cats. I mean, right now, the news is pretty much consists of them saying, boo, and everyone going, ah! <laughs> I mean, people are just straight freaking out right now. Oh, no, the economy. Boo. Oh, no, the president. Boo. Oh, no, the environment or whatever. And I'm not saying that the problems of this world are not real. The problems of your life are not real. They are. But after for most people, a lifetime of no Sabbaths. The real problems are far scarier to us than they should be. That's because we've forgotten God. Okay, yeah, this is a problem in our world. Sure, this is something that's scary. This, yes, this is a problem with the economy, but God, don't freak out. If God is there, then you can actually take a nap as the sound of an army is approaching. Nobody else can do that. So I would recommend for your Sabbath that you would, uh, you would fast from all news. I just would recommend that. Just take a break, okay? The world will continue to fall apart, and you can pick back up tomorrow and get your update. A lot of people say, but I need to be informed. People will inform you. They will. Just save some time. You know, I, I really am beginning to rethink how I, how I get news, because I'm just regularly, what? No, really? Ah, oh, ah! Oh. It's like, that took five minutes to completely lose perspective. So just, just fast from the news and get God's perspective. Then the last one, the last habit of refocus is declare your patience. Declare your patience. Verse 18 of Isaiah 30. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, he rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. This is just amazing. It says God is not indifferent to your situation. He actually longs to be gracious to you. His, his stance towards you and me is not, oh, all right, I'll help you again. No, the idea is like, oh, you're in trouble, you need help? Oh, I love helping you. God longs to be gracious to us. And he will actually rise up from his seed of power to display his compassion on your behalf. He's a God of justice, it says. He sees when wrong is done to you, and and he will respond to it. This is amazing news. But then there's the last phrase. Blessed are all who wait for him. Wait? Why wait? And there is the problem that we have with God. His response time is slow by our standards always been slow by my standard maybe by yours too and that's because as hard as it is for us to grasp the world does not revolve around us and God's plans do not have us at the very center we are loved and we will be taken care of if we follow him but he is God ruler of heaven and earth he is not our butler and he will not come running every time we ring the bell He will do justice by us. He will be gracious to us. But we're going to have to wait. Sabbath is an exercise in patience. One day in seven, just sit down and wait for something. Now, patience is not passive. Patience is an active decision to sit and wait for God to rise. So often what we do is something happens, we jump to our feet and we start running around and we start getting, you know, God, could you just get involved and could we get everyone else involved and God says, would you just sit down and let me rise first? Just wait for me. Over and over again, situations and problems that I come out just, I got to do this, I got to do this, and God says, just, just wait another week or two on that, just wait. And when I wait, oftentimes I see some other things happen. It's like, oh, this is a much better time to address it. We, we just, we're not, we're not good waiters. So I would encourage you to pick one of the three R's of recharging or one of the three P's of refocusing and build it into your Sunday. You need to build all of these in, but start with one. Make a weekly habit of it. One of the things that's interesting to me in the Old Testament is when the people of Israel are taken into captivity for 70-some years, God makes an interesting comment. He says, and now the land will get its Sabbath rest. What he's saying is, for a number of years, the people who were mostly agricultural did not practice the Sabbath because they didn't want to lose the money that was represented by that one day that they weren't working. And God is saying, yeah, I was adding those up. And now, for 70 years, nobody's doing any farming. And one of the things I suspect is that we will get the Sabbath in. I think what I've seen for myself physically, when when I drive myself crazy, God says, all right, You're sick for a week. Seven days of Sabbath, boom, 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 boom. I don't know that the math always works out exactly, but we have been designed to need a Sabbath. If we don't keep it, there's a good chance God will take it. It's much better to keep it than to have it taken. As it says in Isaiah 30, verse 15, this is what the sovereign Lord says the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you'd have none of it. May that not be true of us. Let's pray. Father, we are, well, we're just stunned at your your love and your compassion for us. You rested not because you need a break, but because you know we would. I pray that you'd help us to trust you enough to, to sit down one day in seven and rest and refocus. I pray you'd speak to each of us about which of these six practices we need to work on first and that over the course of this year, we we really would begin to keep the Sabbath. We know that in our culture, every day is very similar stores are all open and the work can be done any particular day and so it's only by our own choice that we will keep this day help us uh, recharge us and refocus us today we pray this in your name jesus amen